Welcome to the Superhero of Love podcast. I am Bridget Fonger. I wrote a book called Superhero of Love, Heal Your Broken Heart and Then Go Save the World. That book is going to be out in January 2019, but I didn't want to wait until that time to start talking to superheroes of love. And guess what? Here's the news. You are a superhero of love. And through talking to other superheroes like yourself, tapping into that little superhero inside of you, I'm hoping that you and I and all of us start feeling more and more like superheroes of love, meaning that we love and are loved more than ever before. So welcome. Let's get this party started. sitting here in the amazing ocean side home if you can hear that wonderful wave in the background hopefully you can hear it a little bit of Kathy Eldon a dear old friend who we are, we long have time friend long time friend I'm sorry <laughs> and Kathy Eldon is an author of many books I actually started with social history books a thousand years ago when back in 1972 I did a book called Kitchens and Cooking for a um, publisher, which was all about, for kids, social history. And then I did one on communication and one on medicine. And they were little bitty books with lots of photographs because it was so scary to write lots of language. That was hard. So 50, 50 word captions. And then when I moved to Kenya, I started writing uh, eating out guides and cookbooks and tourist guides and a book on um, making music in Kenya and Safari Journal. And then... And you were a journalist, too. And I was a journalist, yeah. I wrote so much there. It's, yeah, it was great. <laughs> Loved it. I got to write stories about creative, active people who are nation-building and who are inspiring, and they never asked permission to, to do anything. They just bloody well went out and did it. So it was very inspiring for me, because I used to be a proper person, <laughs> believe it or not. Right. Okay, and then let's move into the future where you wrote your next incarnation of writing was... Well, as a result of... Uh, things that happened to me. I started writing a column for the Diners Club and Magazine in Kenya called, um, it was a basically my journey. And it, at that time I was going through a separation and then a divorce. I was leaving Africa, which I love more than life itself. I was far apart from some members of my family. And so I started writing about an inner journey that was intermingled with a yeah, it was a spiritual journey that was also uh, experimenting with other dimensions as well. So it was kind of a different thing for me from my journalistic t travels. And then when my son was killed, suddenly and, and uh, by, by mistake, most killings are by mistake, I went into a really profound state of sadness and grief. So Amy, my daughter, and I, who was then 19 years old, well, by then she was tw 20 years old, we together did a guided journal called Angel Catcher, A Journal of Loss and Remembrance. And that really helped our healing to figure out how you can go through something as profoundly painful as the death of a child and come out with a sense of acceptance and ultimately forgiveness and then to try to transform that pain into something positive. And then after that came... Soul Catcher, which was a journal to help you become who you really are. Mm. And that was to find the blockages that we have in really expressing and living out the basis of who we are. And that was a long journey for us to figure it out and then to start living it and then to start sharing it. And all of these books, I can't more highly recommend them. They're all helpful if you're going through any of those periods of your life searching for a healing for your heart, searching for a healing for your soul. 
And then came the magical fun journey of Love Catcher. So well, we sort of looked at ourselves and we were, we'd done a bunch of films and we were doing books and we were starting a foundation, but we didn't have any good love in our lives. We had sort of, you know, not uh, good people, but not our people. So we decided to do Love Catcher, a journal to help you bring more love into your life. And we looked at, again, what are the barriers to really the, finding the love that will really allow you to be yourself and we did this guided journal, and while we were doing it, we made lists of the people that we wanted in our lives. And my list was very long, <laughs> and I knew what I wanted, and I knew larger than life, and I wanted him to love his children because I'd been with people who didn't actually have a relationship with his, ki- his kids, and that was hard. I wanted him to love his children. I wanted somebody who could be a partner, uh, travel the world with me, and because I really love what I do, which is helping other people fulfill their f- their potential. So I wanted somebody who could travel the world with me. So honestly, it was a laundry list. Amy had a different list. I actually managed to uh, materialize a man named Michael who really, I mean, you could check all the boxes. It was crazy. And he was renting to a man named John uh, because he had two houses on the beach, miracle of all miracles. (laughs) And so Amy met John and fell madly in love with him and married him. And I eventually married Michael, and we live to this day side by side on the beach. Amy now has three children. So the book worked. It's magic. <laughs> we it's healed magic. our hearts. <laughs> so get thee to that book if that is what you wish to manifest in your life. And then finally, the book that I read in literally one day, mm-hmm. because it's such an incredible read. I, I don't even know that I ate that day. Um, in the Heart of Life, your most recent book. So tell us about that. Oh, well, back in 1996, I was possessed, literally, with a need to share my story. And I sat down. Um, I was actually encouraged to do it by a Native American physicist who was also an Indian, a chief, an, wow. an, a Native American chief who worked for NASA. And I was seeing him at the time. And he said, he, he could see that I was struggling because my book, when, when you read it, is a little bit out there because I, I'm a producer. I, write, I, I produce for CNN and PBS and I've been a journalist. But my story uh, also deals with a, me interacting with another dimension. And after my son was killed, this really became an extraordinary journey and before it was just like dabbling it was interesting I was intrigued but Mm -hmm. I'm very skeptical and after Dan was killed it became something that was uh, shaping what I did professionally um, to certain extent with our foundation and and other aspects of my life so I I wanted to include strands of that in my book but I was scared and I visited NASA with this guy and he looked at me and he said, you know, there's something going on inside you. And I, I shared, I told him what I wanted to do. And he said, you know, you're perching, you're, you're, you've got to hmm. fly, you have to soar, you have to uh, stop flapping. Um, and he encouraged me to tell my story. So I did. I sat down and in, in a month I wrote uh, 312 pages. I remember oh my literally, God. you know, fingers <laughs> sort of bleeding uh, and getting up earlier and earlier every morning. But getting this book down. And, but it was, it had a structure, mm-hmm. but it was like a, chain, a, straight, a stream of consciousness. So it took me 16 years to live a life worth sharing and, as I say, tell a, a story worth reading. And that 
happened with the help of, of a wonderful editor. It was rejected four times by publishers. And finally, it was accepted instantly by Harper One, which I was thrilled about. Yeah. So I'm t I say that just to encourage people, that especially with memoirs, you may not have lived the life <laughs> that makes it worth bothering with for right. other people. Right. Okay, now, um, the reason I know, Kathy, is that my friend Kira Thompson, who's a producer now on The Voice, but um, previously she produced the documentary Dying to Tell the Story, which you can tell them what Dying to Tell, th it, it, which is, I've seen that movie so many times, and uh, it's breathtaking and important, I, it's so important to watch, but it's the, it is one of many artistic creations that were born out of the loss of your son. That was a particularly interesting one because Amy dropped out of college after Dan was killed. She was only 19, and she was so devastated by, by the loss of her brother that she decided to drop out of college. And then she enrolled later at Boston University's College of Communication, determined to be a uh, like a peace correspondent, not a war correspondent, which mm. what Dan was. And out of that came a concept for a film that she wanted to do, which was really to go on a journey to try to understand why her brother did what he did and how it affected him. So Amy traveled around the world with Kira, um, interviewing seven frontline journalists, including Christiane Amanpour, to really understand that drive. Why do, why do they do this? This is dangerous, and why, why bother to tell this story? Why would you want to die for something or be willing to die for something? The film was nominated for an Emmy. It had premiered at the United Nations, and it triggered a whole career in, in documentary film for Amy and for me. And then later, we started a, a foundation, an organization dedicated to helping support other creative activist filmmakers, impact producers, who are using art, music, dance, drama, film for social impact. So Dan was a photojournalist for writers. Dan was a young photojournalist who had been... A, um, inspired by the possibility of a famine in southern Somalia. Actually, it was a time when he was just about ready to head back to UCLA to finish his last year at UCLA. He was intrigued and horrified to think that there might be this famine that nobody knew anything about. So together with a young friend from Reuters, Aidan Hartley, he traveled into Somalia where they discovered there was indeed a horrific famine and tens of thousands of people were dying and many hundreds of thousands would potentially die. He and Aiden did a story, D Dan was the photographer, that actually awakened the world to this horrible famine and triggered a, a whole influx of other journalists who came in to tell the story, Dan Rather and you know Diane Sawyer and amazing people. It also triggered Operation Restore Hope that Clinton sent in uh, a, an incredible rescue mission to, to bring aid to these refugees or these um, people who are suffering from hum hunger, sorry famine victims. Dan stayed on in Somalia to cover this story for the next year, but tragically, Somalia descended into a sort of chaotic civil war, bloody, horrible civil war. Dan knew it was time for him to leave, and he wanted to go back to UCLA one year later, it was July, and was ready to go, but he needed to stay for another two weeks because his replacement hadn't, it wasn't able to come until then. Tragically, on July 12, 1993, uh, there was a bombing by UN forces of a house where they believed the warlord was hiding, this awful warlord who was causing the civil war. Unfortunately, the warlord, war, warlord wasn't there, um, and there was a meeting of peace, um, a p sort of peaceful meeting of elders trying to find a, a solution to bring everyone back together, children, women, old um, you know, religious leaders, and 80 people killed, 200 people wounded in this horrific attack. 
They, the survivors begged the journalist to come and tell the story. But when the journalist got there, the people were so enraged by these strangers that they killed four journalists. Two were black, two were white. So it wasn't a racist situation. It was just rage about the other. I'm always still in awe of coming through that, coming to the other side of that. And you came through the other to the other side of that with such elegance and um how talk to us about how you held your heart during that time like how did you manage it I don't know that I did and I think you know we've all been through times when our hearts are broken and some people say cracked open and I think it's not doesn't take the death of a child it could be the loss of a relationship or the possibility of a job or what's happening in our country you know we can have a broken heart or Mm. a cracked heart and I think for me it was the realization that I could literally implode I could die of sadness or I could try out of the grief to transform that pain into something positive into something powerful and positive and that that tragedy and something that was ultimately triumphant now to say it now it, it sounds very you know like oh, golly, of course, she must have known that all along. No, not really. I did speak to the head of Reuters shortly after the, the guys were, were killed. It was actually at the Celebration of Life memorial service, and I said, I want to transform this into something positive because there were four journalists killed. So right from day one, I knew I had to do something. Out of that came a very long journey, and our, 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 our book, um, Angel Catcher, was written actually two years after Dan's death. So the, the pain and the grieving, I think, takes two years before you even start to think about healing. Because mm-hmm. it's the first year you say, right, I've done everything, I'm going to get all better. Uh, you've had Easter twice or, you know, once in a bit. It doesn't really work like that. And I, I think for many people, for some people, it might. But I think people often feel like they're disappointing people if they're not all better after a year. And that's right. rubbish. And, and like it's linear, too. Yeah, like exactly. you don't walk in a straight line. Oh, no. Yeah. Not at all. And you don't think you'll ever laugh again. And you don't mm. think you'll ever not think about that person or that issue uh, that is causing you such pain. But I'm here to say you can find joy and you can throw your head back and laugh wholeheartedly. And it's a journey. But I, I think it's a journey that is accomplished with greater ease if you know you're doing something with that grieving energy in the name of that person or, you know, or, or that thing that happened. You know, like, this is to celebrate that person or this is to transform whatever lousy thing happened you also mm-hmm. had his journals that were left behind talk about those journal those gorgeous journals that you also made into a book right after dan's death i was so lucky because i discovered a collection of 17 journals packed with photographs and images and drawings and um, poems and uh, stories that Dan had collected since the age of 14 through the age of 22. So that became the sort of fodder for the transformation as well. And we created a book uh, with Chronicle Books called The Journey is the Destination. Which is stunning, by the way. You still have art shows. And where can they – tell us the Thank website you. that they should go to to see if there's there's a there's an art show of his work um, yeah, coming up. Yeah, you can up. go on Dan Eldon. Dot org, or you can go on to danelden.com. Okay. We also, tbcontemporary is dot com, tbcontemporary.com is uh, the way you can buy the art or, or just go on to any of our sites, Creative Visions or Dan Eldon. But the art is, is uh, in the form of, of fine art prints, and they're pretty exciting. We just closed three shows this year. 
um, the latest one at the Malibu City Hall, and it's opening now at the Philippe Guggenheim Gallery in New York for the next year. They're oh. going to have it's a month of show, and then the, the work will be on sale there for the next year, which is exciting. It's We're so just thrilled stunning. to come back. It's, it's, it's so inspiring. It's, it's so crazy. inspiring, and his his work is so inspiring. And he, how old was he when he died? Dan was twenty two when he was twenty two, and he was the youngest writer. Wasn't he the youngest writer's photojournalist that had ever been? Yeah, but he had such a body of work. At age 22, it was as if he was 62. I mean, it was extraordinary. Yeah, he had been 82. Yeah. Maybe I'm going to push it 82. He really left an extraordinarily rich treasure trove of thoughts and ideas and inspiring quotes. And and it was funny. You know, it wasn't about being pious. He was very funny. Yeah. I always feel... Um, I never met Dan, obviously, um, and but I always feel his presence when you're talking about him. And um, so, did that? And I know that you are, are you feel his presence often. And I remember you talking about him in those early years a lot. To me, it felt like I fe- it felt like that was one of your tools that you used to heal your heart was remaining in touch with him. And I feel like sometimes when we lose somebody, we're on that that it feels like a tightrope like should I remain try to remain connected to that person or should I you know so I just want to did that did that sensitivity to to the other side happen I think right? it was interesting for me I had Brenda Lawrence who is a very renowned British medium who teaches at the Arthur Findlay School which is the you know the very sort of staid and uh, respectable college of, of psychic studies sort of but she said look I don't want to see you more often than once a year. You know, this is really, I don't, you shouldn't be addicted to psychics or mediums. You can hear so much yourself, you know, tune in yourself. But once a year for 25 years now, I have called um, Brenda, sometimes in the early days, maybe twice a year, but now once a year in November, I call her. And for years, it was like, we've got this film we want to make. And she'd say, I'm really sorry. I don't see it happening. Uh, now and maybe for another couple of years and she'd give all the reasons that the script wasn't right or you know really there were so many things that were wrong or we didn't have the funding in place or it was really interesting because I I didn't want to hear that Mm -hmm. but that's what I kept hearing Um, she when Amy wanted to have a baby she knew when that baby what sex that baby was and when that baby arrived and she knew when my husband was deathly ill and, and, and really wasn't totally convinced that, that he was going to come through but by golly they were going to try to help you know mm-hmm. it was really interesting and so once a year I would I would write down all the actually I would tape it and write down all the notes transcribe as she was speaking and every year I would get guidance for what was pretty necessary and one year she really was able to to, to warn me about some elements that were not necessarily great in, in my um, around me mm. and that was troubling and I didn't want to know that but you know sometimes you have to listen and mm-hmm. just transcribe and, and, and then be aware mm-hmm. but I think having that interaction it, which was not unhealthy I don't think and I, I'm very you know I've certainly experienced charlatans and slimy people <laughs> who are <laughs> preying on you know the grieving or uh, the uh, naive and one has to be incredibly aware uh, and careful. And I think whatever guidance one might get, you have to use your own free will, question everything. If it feels like there's a roadmap in there that you are intrigued by or want to follow, follow it. 
not it's not it's never going to be 100 mm-hmm. percent. if you're getting 52 1 percent you know you're beating the odds but i think one needs to be have a healthy sense of skepticism and then weigh up whatever is said and but for me it was very helpful so it seconded your intuition and your feelings about being connected to dan did it yeah and it stretched me um er, the first time that i was there uh now, this is a death of a 22-year-old, so you don't necessarily have grandiose stories around a 22-year-old. She said it, he had two memorial services. That's kind of unusual. One was quiet and, or, you know, not quiet. One was more family and extended family, and one was a very official, you know, with re- representatives of governments, and that was actually what happened. Mm. Um, one was at St. Bride's Church in London with uh, you know, the most eminent um, people from Downing Street were there. So that was interesting. She said, you have to start a foundation in his name. You know, if your kid is killed in a motorcycle crash, you don't usually, in those days, this was 93, Mm -hmm. start a foundation. She commented on the fact that I was wearing a necklace, um, something that he had given me a piece of jewelry. And I pulled the the jewelry out from under my shirt. You know, there's no way she could have seen it. Um, There was just, oh, and she talked about how he'd been killed. And, And we didn't even know. I didn't see the death certificate until another, maybe another year. So I couldn't even confirm that what she said was accurate, which was a blow to the back of the head. I didn't know that, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was really interesting and in that he'd gone so quickly that they really didn't know what had happened. So that transition was extraordinarily quick, and I certainly now know that. I, You know, we've had eyewitnesses. And but how comforting, my God. What a yes. wonderful thing to be able to hear, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and honestly, as horrible as it is, the idea of having somebody linger, mm-hmm. you know, which happens to so many people with, with modern science now. You can keep people alive, and that's not necessarily a blessing. And I think through all this that I've experienced in my relationship with the other side, with um, death, is that there is no actual death, or that I'm certainly not afraid of it. I, I could be t- completely delusional, but it doesn't really matter because I won't find out until I'm <laughs> there, and that's, <laughs> that's too late. That's a good point. So who cares? But I'm not af- afraid. And it's fine. It's all good. It's all good. That's a great blessing, I think. That is an incredible blessing. Um, I just, I lost two friends recently. Um, Not dear, dear close friends, but, you know, friends in my spiritual community. And, um, and they went, um, and I, and I had this image of them ascending incredibly fast and giddy, giddy happy was the image that I had in meditation and that has shifted before that I had that image of them that was so crystal clear I was scared of death Mm. and in fact when I've been compromised and thought oh um, is this you know like in a car crash that you know I've had some level of peace but then also some fear so um, that just recently transformed for me so I love hearing I love hearing you say that because that just confirms <laughs> just, yes. there's no reason to be afraid yeah okay so let's talk about how you ho- hold your heart um in relationship because this this extraordinary relationship that you manifested oh my god I love so much and holding your heart in a relationship I think is a quandary that many many of my friends are currently in 
Okay, so I would like you to speak to that. Okay, I've been around for a while. I've been in many relationships. <laughs> in and out. I've, I mean, I've had. Oh, and in the heart of life, loves. by the way, in the heart of life. <laughs> let's do a plug for your book because in the heart yeah. of life talks, we hear you speak about how you held your heart in yeah. your relationships. But yes, or didn't. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've had a very uh, rich life of love and passion and joy and sorrow and tragedy and pain and and more joy and you know I've I've actually had a really uh, mostly, I can say I've just really appreciated and, and loved much of my life. And, and looking back about the heart, I remember one person uh, after I was no longer married and but dating, and he said, you must not be reckless with another person's heart, with someone else's heart. Hmm. And I think at the time I was like sort of like, wee, this is interesting, you know, where you're, you've been in a long-term relationship or and, and you're trying out other experiences. And I think to be transparent and open about your intention with someone, if you're you know out there just to have a really great time, which certainly um, many, 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 many people, obviously many of us are looking for the, the one, mm-hmm. and I don't think there is such a thing as the one, <laughs> but I think it's one has to be really transparent. So if you just want to have a good time, which is Tinder makes very, very easy and so many other, you know, situations now or hookups it's all so much easier than it was <laughs> for that kind of relationship yeah and speaking of tinder your grandson is right outside that so i'm gonna just hit pause, hit pause? <laughs> yes, do that. yes 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 Hey, superheroes. So we had a little interlude with Kathy's grandson, who you're going to hear more about in a second. Um, And there were so many gems in his little interview that I'm going to pluck them out of here and put them in a series of interviews with kids, I think, because he was so inspiring. And I know other kids will have inspiring things to say as well, but appropriately named Dan Eldon. Here is Kathy talking more about him. His name is Daniel Eldon Turtletoe. I love it. And he, it's, he's a middle child, so it's really good to have something kind of cool to hang your hat on. Yes. <laughs> Especially when you have a little sister. Yes. Oh, my God, who pulls the, pulls the focus a lot. Yeah. Okay, so back to um, taking care of our, our hearts. Um, oh, we were ta- I was asking specifically, like, um, in relationship, yeah. taking care of your heart. And, um, and you've been in a very long-term relationship now, and... and like the navigating of those waters, I have, you know, I have many women circling me right now that are trying to navigate those waters. Um, have we grown, you know, at the, you know, after long marriages and, mm-hmm. well, maybe we've grown too far apart. And, you know, so tell me yeah, about I how you navigate the, that. The, the real trick is retaining intimacy. And I watch so many of Amy's friends um, who are in their like around for, mid forties or early forties or late thirties, who are so busy with their children and with often careers, with their husbands' careers, that and this is certainly the case with me and my husband and I was married for nineteen years, that you forget to run away together, do something naughty, you know, take time, find a way to pay for the babysitter or whatever it takes to go and rediscover why on earth you fell for this person in the first place. Because when children are introduced into the equation, um, you have so many distractions, so many irritating (laughs) challenges that one often is just slightly uh, uh, irritated by the partner because they're not 
kind of living up to what you'd hope that they would be able to do, mm-hmm. male or female, to alleviate these challenges. And we lose track of that spark, that element of fun, delight, where you fall in love with yourself because you're falling in love with someone else. Or, you know, you're, you're seeing <gasps> yourself differently. Cr- oh, I love that. Well, it really is. Falling in love is really ultimately a narcissistic thing. <laughs> you're, you're seeing yourself reflected in somebody else who thinks you're great. And the whole thing is like back and forth um, reflections of, of, of beauty. But then inevitably, real life steps in, almost inevitably. And I think it's harder with kids. I really, really do. Yeah, all so. the people that I have in my life, they have kids. They're all yep. dealing with this. Yeah, where and date nights are a thing of the past where it's hard to... Well, now it's Netflix. Right. <laughs> so you're staying home with right. the very person that you might want to sort of either get away from or get away with. And that, I think, is a, is a real killer. because, And then people work from home. So my husband, Michael, who is amazing, I say, look, I married you for life but not for lunch. Because mm. he's he's not retired, but he's no longer going to an office, and the idea of spending twenty four hours with one person, you know, what do you talk about? Or it's just annoying. So I really <laughs> I I love him, but I think you need to have your own life. You need to have your friends, your own friends, and no human being can be everything to another person. So the whole idea of soulmate is honestly. It's. I think there is way where are way more than one soulmate Absolutely. in your life. It's yeah. To think that there's only one person in that world who's going to fulfill your every need, and that he/she will not fulfill your every need because it's impossible. Yeah. So, fill your life with wonderful people whom you love, but in different ways. And one of the things you fill your life with is creative visions. So tell them about creative visions a little bit. I know you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but tell us what makes your heart sing about creative Every visions. day I get to wake up and go across this little um, driveway and go up in an elevator to a center, Dan Eldon Center for Creative Activism, which houses Creative Visions, which is an organization that supports creative activists who are using media and the arts for social impact. Art, music, dance, drama, film storytelling that ignites a response in other people and makes them want to do something around social, environmental, humanitarian issues, especially around women's empowerment, women and girls, around the environment, around consciousness and global healing, wellness. Um, There's another issue uh, that's eluding me at the moment. But it's, it's so much fun because every day I get to work with people who come to the center with ideas. They don't quite know how to do something. So we're like management consultants for mm. creative activists, and it's great. And we also produce media. We've produced a number of films and feature films and documentaries. We, we've nurtured th- over 360 projects and productions. Uh, and then we've got the Dan Eldon Legacy Project, which is traveling Dan's art, along with the feature film, The Journey is a Destination, which is all about young people who believe there's a problem over there, we're going to go do something. And to that end, we have a a youth empowerment program called Rock Your World, which is based on the Declaration of Human Rights. Oh, wow. It's cool. And it's rock-your-world.org. And it's um, the trainings here in Los Angeles are at the Museum of Tolerance. We had 89 teachers at the last uh, training. We do amazing trainings to teach teachers how they can mobilize their students around issues that matter to them. Mm, That is so beautiful. Um, And The Journey is a Destination, how can they see that movie? It's on Netflix now, The Journey is a Destination, and it's a film about Dan and his friends. It's a rollicking film directed by a wonderful woman director, Bronwyn Hughes, 
starring Ben Schnetzer playing Dan and Maria Bello plays me. Ella Purnell, who's a rising young English actress, plays Amy. Uh, she was just in the Winston Churchill film playing his assistant. Huh. And Miss um, Peregrine's Peculiar House for Strange Children or something. <laughs> she's she's <laughs> right. wonderful. And, and, and uh, other wonderful actors. Kelly MacDonald is in it as well. Uh, I took me 25, 23 years to, to, to get that one. And Kwaku Mandela, Nelson Mandela's grandson, is one of the major producers on that one. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, thank you for sharing your heart for this time. In no this solutions. In, right. No, no, lots of, I felt like there were lots of yeah. solutions. I love that. Working on intimacy for your relationship. Just be open to love, you know, oh. and open. I think that from my perspective, I think what my biggest guidance or my biggest idea is 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 the namaste. I, the God in me salutes the God in you. And when you can look into somebody else and you're looking for the good and you're looking for the soul and right now I'm looking at you and you're looking at me and yeah. we know that there is a connection there and we're, most of us are too afraid I think to go into that space mm -hmm. but if you can at the supermarket you know when you're checking out and you look at the person who's checking the whatever and actually see that person and salute that person you know you don't have to clasp your hands and say namaste but if you can do that and try to do that with every connection, every contact, every person you encounter. It is transformative in your life, really. You know, it just occurred to me because you said work on intimacy, right? And that is like daily intimacy, yeah. like daily intimacies reaching into another soul. Another soul. That's seeing so the light beautiful. In it. Only, the, you know, just go for the light because they will give you their best. And that, that's, I think what happens with me is I, I really do try to do that mm -hmm. and so people only give me their best and I, I really don't know any jerks yeah right <laughs> so good you expect the yeah, best I do. yeah and I get it I have the same I have the same thing anything else thank any you. other last thank tenets? you Bridget. oh my god thank you <laughs> my god I'm just so thrilled um in the heart of life you guys um it's a heart opener it's a heart healer also. Um, I highly recommend that book. All of these books, um, you heard about them at, up at the top. Um, and tell us the websites um, one last time Kathy where they Elden. can reach you. Yeah, kathyeldon.com, uh, creativevisions.org, daneldon.com, rock-your-world.org. Thank you to Kathy Eldon for rocking our world, a true superhero of love. Go check out her websites. You will not be disappointed. Read all her books. Again, you won't be disappointed. And if you feel like it, please go over to iTunes and give us a review. It'll bring more superheroes into the fold. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Superheroes. <laughs>